Good morning. Good to have you all here. Good to see you all here. John chapter 14, the first six verses of the Gospel of John chapter 14. This is our next to last message in our worship series, looking at the great I am statements of Jesus out of the Gospel of John. Next week, we conclude in John chapter 15 with Jesus saying, I am the vine. I am the vine. Also, don't forget that next Sunday night, 7 o'clock, right here in the auditorium, we are concluding our worship series with a night of worship. And I think it's going to be a, just a very special night, a very moving night. We all need in this day and age the reality of the presence of God in our life. I mean, we know as Christians that God's presence exists within us through the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we're not as aware of it as we are at other times, and we need to be. We need to be. And there's nothing that brings the reality of the presence of God into our life like worship does. So I hope you'll be here next Sunday night and worship with us as we just exalt the Lord in this place. If you've been with us here at the Oasis for any length of time, you've heard me say this phrase, and that is that what we go through down here on earth as Christians, no matter how bad, it's the only hell we will ever know. And for those without Christ, whatever good they experience down here on earth, it's the only heaven they will ever know. I want to say that, but I want to say it in a different way because it goes along with our message this morning. It's where Jesus is trying to get his disciples to this morning in this passage of Scripture. Our worst day on earth as Christians, the darkest day of our life down here with Jesus is better than the best day someone could experience on earth without Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that. I didn't hear too many amens about that, I know. It is, right? That's, I get it. Jesus gets it, but that's where he wants us to get to. That our worst possible day on earth with Jesus is better than the best possible day someone could have on earth without Jesus. We're going to look at what Jesus says, beginning with his declaration of the I am statement in verse 6. We're also going to examine this morning in this passage when Jesus says this statement and these other words, because that's very important to understanding the meaning of what Jesus is saying. And then the why, why is Jesus saying this at this particular time? Let's go first to the I am statement. And remember that as Jesus declares these I am's, and here this morning in John 14, 6, it is I am the way, the truth, and the life, that he begins with the I am. Again, taking us back to Exodus. 
He is the great I am, the self-existent eternal God, the God who always was, who always is, and always will be, the one who created everything that's ever existed, the one that anything that is alive, it finds its life only in him, and it is the one for whom everything was created. Everything was not only created by him, Paul says in Colossians 1, but for him. He's the one that sustains the universe that he created created. He's the one that's going to be the center of all creation. And one day he's going to set up his eternal kingdom and be worshiped forever and ever. The great I am. But here he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what I want us to see this morning is that these are not standalones. That these concepts are all intertwined. If we have him as the way, then we also are going to be having him as the truth, and therefore we are experiencing the life. Let's first begin with that very key word, the. Jesus doesn't say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. He says, I am the way. If you want the best way, it's got to be my way. My way is the only the way. Every other way is not going to lead you to my truth, which is the only real truth, and to my life, which is the only abundant life. In fact, the Bible says there is a way that seems right unto men or women, human beings, but the end thereof is death, away. Jesus talks about this even in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, enter into the narrow gate. It's difficult, but that way that is narrow and difficult leads to what? Life. Even there, he's, he's intertwining being on the way and experiencing his life. He says there are many on this broad way, but that leads to destruction. My way is narrow. My way is difficult. Keep that in mind. The way. And he's not just talking about the fact that he is the only way of salvation, the only way to God. He certainly makes that clear in verse 6. He says, no one can come to the Father but by me. I am the only way of access or approach to God the Father. I'm the only way of salvation. I'm the only way to eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus. One way, it is Jesus Christ. That is not popular. That's never been popular. That's not politically correct, but that is the truth. Jesus Christ is the only way. But he's also the only truth. And the word truth is very interesting. It speaks about reality. In other words, what is really reality? And it, Jesus is basically saying, the only way you and I experienced 
reality as I define it, and I'm the only one that really can, because I am the I am, is by being in the way. And then being willing to experience reality as it is defined by Jesus Christ. And the reason that's important, especially today, is because we have a lot of, you know, shows on television that talk about reality TV, and, whatever, and we all know that's not really reality, right? And we live in, really, for, for many human beings, in order for them to cope and to get by in life, they have to sort of create alternative realities. They live in these illusions and, and delusions. That's part of how they can cope and move through life and navigate life is they never really can deal with reality. Or the only way they can is through then having to, you know, somehow supplement it with drugs or alcohol or some other destructive coping mechanism because they don't know how to deal with reality. See, when we come to know Jesus, our Savior, he not only wants to give us salvation in him, he wants to teach us how to navigate in the harshest of realities and, and anchor our faith in him so that even on our worst day on earth, we're okay and we know we're okay because we're following the way and we're willing to embrace the truth. And Jesus' reality isn't always, you know, warm and fuzzy. It can be difficult. It can be challenging. It can be filled with trial and tribulation. And yet in all of that, yes, there can be joy, but it's because we are following the way, the truth, and the life, no matter what we're maybe seeing or experiencing, because we understand we're, we're in touch and connected to eternal realities, because the Bible says that what we see is temporary. It's what is unseen that is eternal, which is why then the Bible encourages us to walk by faith, not by sight. Because everything we see is only temporary. It's what we don't see that connects us to the eternal. Now, I want to stop here for a moment because I think that this is prudent. I want to challenge all of us as Christians. I hear and see so much, even as a pastor, that, that sort of, oh, I, I just, I grieve. I, I, I hear Christians talking about, like, isolating and, and living, you know, away from everything and from the last year of, of, of the pandemic and political things and like this, and they're just going to pull themselves out of society and just live somewhere, you know, out somewhere. And I'm going, do you not get the message, first of all, of the fact that when we become Christians, we're not called to isolate ourselves from the world no matter how hard it gets. We are to be the light of the world. And how are they going to see our light if we separate ourselves from them? We're taking the easy road. We're not willing to, in a sense, embrace the reality that Jesus wants us to embrace because at this point, we still have some growing to do. I think we as parents and grandparents need to wrestle with some things too because many of us, we're not 
we're not training our children really to deal with reality many times. We're, we're putting them in some kind of world that's not what reality is, and, and we're trying to keep them from reality, and then eventually when they get out there in reality, they have no clue how to deal with it because they were supposed to be taught how to deal with the real harsh realities of living life on earth, even as a Christian, at home first. Reality. I promise we're getting somewhere here. And then the life, which we've talked about many times in this series. It's the word for abundant life, a life that only Jesus can give us because he's the only life. Any other, any other kind of living and life may be physically is existing, and, and not that you can't find happiness to some degree, but it will never rise in no way, even any shape or form, to the life that one can have through Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus is wanting his disciples to see here and wanting his disciples to hear here this morning is that even on my worst day on earth, if I'm with him, then I'm experiencing experiencing a life that truly is amazing. Do I see it that way? Do I see it that way? The way, the truth, the life. Well, let's talk then for a minute about when Jesus says these words. Beginning in chapter 13, verse 1, through chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, all of those words and things that takes place in those chapters are on the night before Jesus was crucified. Keep that in mind. So what Jesus is about to say to his disciples in John chapter 14 are words that he is saying to his disciples the night before he knows what's going to happen the next day. On a night when he should have been the one that was being comforted by others, what is Jesus doing here in this passage? He is giving immense comfort to his disciples. Notice he starts out by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled or distressed. And literally in the original, he's saying, stop it. Stop it no longer. Stop being stressed. Stop being agitated. Stop being all stirred up. You believe in God. Believe in me. Anchor your faith, your trust, your confidence in me. No matter what you see or what you experience, I will always be the way, the truth, and the life. You see, at this point in the journey with Jesus, these disciples are experiencing something that they had no expectation of. They did not see when they committed to following Jesus a few years earlier that it was going to end like this because he kept saying, I'm going to go away, I'm going to go away, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And they're finally, I think, the reality of it is starting to hit. They see the growing opposition and, and, and animosity towards Jesus. They know that the religious leaders of Israel are plotting to kill him. They, they've heard it all, and they realize, oh, my goodness, this could be the end. They could take Jesus away, and they could literally crucify him. And yet in the midst of that, 
he's saying, stop letting your heart get all out of whack. Anchor yourself in me. See, at this point in the journey with Jesus, these disciples are disillusioned. They are, they are fearful. They are frightened. Uh, they're upset. I mean, tremendously upset. He's already, you know, laid it out that one of them is going to betray him. Another one is going to deny him. I mean, you can imagine, humanly speaking, what's going on inside of their minds, and yet the message to Jesus is, stop it. And if Jesus says, stop it, then that means it could be possible to stop it. Jesus is never going to ask of us to do something that it's an impossibility for us to do with him, obviously, or through him. Many of us need to hear that today because we're distressed. We're, we're allowing our life and what's going on in the world to distress us and to stress us and to agitate us and to stir up our hearts. And Jesus is saying, stop it. Believe in me. I haven't went anywhere. I'm the great I am, and I am still the way, the truth, and the life. So what he says is important, but it's also when he says it, the night before he was crucified. And again, he's offering immense comfort to these disciples at this time. And by the way, let's be reminded as Christians that God, according to 2 Corinthians 1, is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation so that we may in turn comfort others with the comfort with which God himself has comforted us. And if you've ever been in that position in your life like me, where you've needed God's comfort and wanted God's comfort, there is nothing like it. It's sort of like the peace of God. It passes all understanding. His comfort is amazing. And he even sent the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to live within us so that we have, in a sense, someone who is willing and able to comfort us in a supernatural way at any and all times as we go through life. Notice what else Jesus says here to comfort them. He says, I'm going away, right? I'm going to go away, which you would think, well, it's not comforting. But then notice what he adds to that. He says, I'm going away. Why? So that I can prepare a personal space for you in the Father's house. That's how he describes heaven for us. It's a big house because guess what? We're a big family. And there's going to be plenty of room there for every last believer in God down through history. No one's going to be left out. No one who truly has accepted Christ or had faith in God throughout history who, who's going to, you know, get to heaven. And Jesus goes, I'm sorry, I forgot to make you a space. You're just going to have to wander around. No. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And we've talked about this before. Jesus is both the architect and the builder of each of our personal spaces that we're going to sort of live in in the Father's house throughout eternity. 
And not that we can't fly around the universe and go to all these places, because we're going to be able to in our glorified body, but the Bible teaches us in the book of Revelation that the capital city of this wonderful place called heaven is called the New Jerusalem, and it's this giant cube that has all of these personal spaces, if you will, apartments, though that diminishes it way big time, apartments that Jesus Christ is personally designing for each and every one of us. And I guarantee you this, there's not going to be a one of us as a Christian that's going to walk into the personal space that Jesus Christ designed and built for us, and we're going to be disappointed. Our jaw's going to drop. Because Jesus is going to design that just for us. And even the fact knowing that that's why he went, he, notice, he's doing this for them and for you and I. He went away and he says, oh, and by the way, if I go away, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to come inside so that now you not just have God with you, you have God in you 24-7. All about them. That's how Jesus is, totally selfless. He says, I'm not going away for myself. I'm going away so that I can prepare all these places for my people to live in for all of eternity. Oh, and by the way, then he says another word of comfort. I'm coming back again. I will come again, he says. And why is he coming back again? Did you get that? If you keep reading, he says, so that you, can, you and me can be together. Again, it's not about him. He wouldn't need any of us to exist for all of eternity, and he'd be perfectly happy, perfectly content to have been Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, living by himself, never any problems at all. No, he says, I came to earth for you. I'm dying for you. I'm laying down my life for you. When I ascend, I'm going back to heaven and prepare a place for you and me. And I'm going to come back so that you and I can spend eternity together. Wow. Now, I will say this. Isn't it interesting that the comfort he gives his disciples, even the night before he's crucified, is trying to get their minds off of the horror that they're going to see in just 24 hours and get them to focus beyond that to what's coming. Why? Because he's trying to teach them, this is the only hell you'll ever know. Look past your present circumstances. Even the Bible says Jesus did that. Remember in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, even Jesus, for the joy that was set out before him, endured the cross. Even he, as the Son of God, looked past what he was presently going through to the glory that was ahead of him. God wants to teach us to do that so that we don't get locked in to whatever we're going through, no matter how bad it is, and somehow get stuck there and keep spinning there, but we've got to keep looking ahead to the Best days are coming, folks, for you and I. And this shouldn't be our home anyway, right? Because our home is only going to be when we get the glory with God. That's why the Bible says our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. This isn't our home. I mean, it's nice to have a home here, and we want to build a nice, comfortable home where we raise our family and we have our, you know, that, our stuff and all that kind of stuff. But folks, I hope none of us as Christians feel like this is home, because it's not. Our home's up there. That's our home. 
And we're only going to feel totally at home when we get there, never down here. But here may be the most important aspect of what Jesus is getting at here in this passage of Scripture. It's beyond the what and it's beyond the when, it's the why. Why the night before Jesus is crucified is he saying to his disciples, you've got to start believing in me and I am the way, the truth, and the life no matter what you experience in your life. You've got to hold on to that because he wants to teach them that even our worst day on earth as a Christian with Jesus is better than the best day on earth without Jesus. Why? Why does he say these words? Because within 24 hours, his disciples are going to see him arrested. His disciples are going to begin to see him mocked and ridiculed. His disciples are going to begin to see them put a crown of thorns upon his head and begin to pluck out his beard in big clumps. And even when they see him do that, he wants them to see and to say within themselves, he's still the way, he's still the truth, and he's still the life. He wants them to get to a place that when they see him being scourged, by the Romans, and big chunks of his back are being pulled out of his back from those razor-sharp ends that are on the end of a Roman flagrum. He wants them to go, you know what? He's still our way. He's still our truth, and he's still our life. He wants them to get to the place that even when they see him being nailed to that cross, having nails driven in his wrists and in his legs and hoisted up on that cross and the blood begins to flow. He still wants them to believe that he's still the way, the truth, and the life. When he's been beaten so badly that the Bible says he doesn't even look human anymore, as they're looking at that horrific scene, he still wants them to believe in him that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he wants us to get there too because he wants us to stop being caught up with what we see because that's only temporary. It's what is unseen Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that's eternal. And that's why God says, I've got to get my people to the place where they will walk by faith and not by sight. Because what we see and what we experience may be absolutely horrific. It might be painful. But Jesus wants to get all of us, like he did his disciples, to where when we are even going through our darkest day on earth, we still believe in him. We still have confidence in him, and our trust is in him, and our belief is in him. And we still believe that even on that darkest day, when there's all nothing but clouds, and there is no sun, 
that is shining at all that we can see in our life, just like the disciples were going to see within 24 hours that Jesus Christ, the great I am, is still the way, the truth, and the life, my friends. And can I say, that's reality. And if we don't start learning to live in the reality that is Jesus, there's going to be less and less of us, even as Christians, that know how to cope with the realities that are going to come on this earth before Jesus comes back. Because many of us will probably flee I can't, I, I can't, I can't be a light in this darkness. It's too dark. It's too bad. It's too bad of a situation. I think when I hear Christians say, I said, what are, what are you going to say to someone like Daniel when you get to heaven? Daniel, it was too tough for me in America where I live to be a light. And Daniel would just look at us and go, I had to be a light through Babylon and through the Medes and the Persians and all these pagan kings and all of that. What are you talking about? If I can do it, you can do it too. What's Joseph going to say to us? I was a light in Egypt. See, I think God is saying, so many of you have lost sight of the way, the truth, and the life. And, and whatever life we think life is, is not the kind of life that God has defined for us in the Bible. And it's not that you and I as Christians don't have a lot to, to be joyful about and happy about and, and to be blessed by and to have those good days on earth. God balances out the days of prosperity and adversity. But what God wants to get us to see, especially in this season of life that we're in and the days and age, and age in which we live, is that even in these dark times that we live in, that's reality as God sees it for now. And God wants us to be able to rise above it by continuing to believe in Jesus no matter how dark it is, no matter how many clouds are in the sky, even if I can't see the sun shine anymore, I still know that my Jesus is the great I am, the way, the truth, and the life. And if I just anchor my life in him, I will experience a life that I could never experience in any other way because life according to God, is not a life that is absent from trouble and, and bad things happening and all of that. Real life is that no matter what I go through, even the dark days of my life are the days of my life where I'm connected to Jesus Christ. That's life. No matter what, that's life partnering with Jesus every day, living in intimate communion with him. And that's what he wanted to get his disciples to see. Stop letting your hearts be so distressed because tomorrow at this time, you're going to see some terrible things happen to me. And you've got to still believe in me even when you see me dying. 
You, you've got to still trust in me even when you see that spear go through my side and blood and water come out. You, you still got to believe that I'm the way, the truth, and the life when they wrap me up in, in, the, in the cloth and they lay me in that tomb. You still got to believe I'm the way, the truth, and the life even though everything within you humanly says I'm dead because we all know he wasn't dead for long, was he? Because you can't kill the prince of life. And so Jesus is coming to us today. And he's basically saying to us, take heart. I'm still your way. I will always be your way. I'm still the truth, and I will always be the truth. And I am the life. And it doesn't matter what you and I go through. It doesn't matter what we see. It doesn't matter what we experience. Jesus is going to say to all of us, you believe in God, believe in me. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter how dark it gets in our life or on this earth, Jesus Christ is saying, I will always be your way, your truth, and your life. May we be comforted today by the comfort that only God can give. And notice his comfort isn't, I'll make everything easy for you. I'll make everything okay for you. I'll make it so you don't ever have any bad days. No, no, no. See, Jesus loves us enough to say, I know what life on earth is like. I know what the end is like that's coming. And I know that that the kingdom of darkness is beginning to unleash so much upon this earth. But I want my people to be strong enough in me that no matter what day and age they live in, no matter what empire they live under and what leadership they live under, that they are thriving because you are living my way, my truth, and my life. Let's take heart, folks. Let's take heart. Would you stand with me? I truly believe that I felt a spirit of heaviness as we were doing worship earlier this morning in this place, and that's okay. I love that when we're struggling and maybe have, that, that we don't avoid the house of God, that we come into the house of God. Because that's exactly where Jesus wants us when we're struggling and going through difficult times. He says to all of us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'm the one that can give you rest. And Jesus is saying that today to each one of us here. He's saying, only I can give you that kind of rest, rest for your soul, that deep rest that no matter what's going on and what you're seeing and what you're experiencing, you're not letting your heart be all upset about it because you are anchored in me, and I am your way, your truth, and your life at all times, every day, every day. God, would you minister to us right now 
would you pour out your comfort to each of us today? As we worship you, God, may we declare to ourselves and to those around us, maybe even there in our homes watching live stream this morning, that God, we do believe in you. And we are going to stop it right now, letting our hearts be all stressed out. And we are going to acknowledge you as our way, our truth, and the life. You are our way through all this. In fact, you are the only way through this. So God, we trust you. Help us, God, to rest in you. Help us to cast all our cares on you, God, because you care for us. Help us to throw our burden upon you, Lord, for you sustain us, God. Would you minister to your people, God, and help us to minister to each other as we declare to you this song this morning as we wrap things up. Heal hearts this morning, God. Strengthen hearts this morning as only you can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.